So glad to be here with you again this morning. Um, I just wanted you to know, just in case I haven't told you lately, um, that I love you. That there is no other church above you. Uh, I'm so thankful for you. I do want you to know seriously and sincerely that I love you so much and that through all of the difficulty and all of the great things about our church, uh, there's no place that I'd rather be on a Sunday morning. Uh, There's no people that I would rather spend my life with. Um, And if you are going to make my life difficult, I would rather it be you instead of someone else. So I love you, and I'm thankful for even the difficult times uh, in our lives. Today we're going to be in Romans again after our short uh, break. Um, and uh, we're going to be in Romans three twenty-one through 26. Uh, for your sake, I have split this up into two sermons because uh, I figured you would rather have a long play with an intermission as opposed to just one long play that went uh, into overtime or extra innings or whatever they call it in, in the play uh, industry, whatever. Uh, it, in sports, it's overtime. So uh, there we go. Um, so anyway, um, just consider uh, that you might not we, not, we might not get to the climax of the story today. Uh, we will on some level, but uh, we'll have a brief intermission, a one-week intermission, and then uh, we'll hit the rest of it next week, which I think, I feel like you might be accustomed to those type things anyway. So um, I only say that just to give you a heads up. Today we're going to be in Romans 3. We're going to look in Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, and we're going to look at God's remedy for the world's problem. Uh, I'm glad we're in this text today because every week we've been in Romans, I've been sort of like, all right, let's, when's the good stuff coming? Can, can we, st- okay, I get it, I get it. I'm, I'm the worst to beat myself up any, anyway. Uh, I know. I'm depraved. I know I can't make it. I know that I'm without hope in the world. I know that uh, I'm desperate. I know that I'm needy. For two and a half chapters, or the first portion of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, we've been reminded of our neediness and that everyone has a huge problem that directly affects our ability to follow God, and our ability to understand God. And that problem is that we are depraved. We are depraved sinners. It is in our nature. It's a problem with our nature and not just a problem with our choices. Honestly, I've been thinking about this, and some of you won't like this illustration, but as Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. In the sin department... Uh, it's sort of like our (coughs) tax returns when Democrats control the country. I have never had worse tax returns than when Democrats control the country. This is not a political, it is a political statement, sort of, but it's not, I'm not like, you know, you know, bringing forth a political candidate here. I remember one year in particular, I made like, Someone's going to say weird flex. This is not a flex. I made like $40,000, which is an okay amount of money, but it's not a special amount of money. 
And during the tax season, I thought, I'm going to be okay. I have the same deductions. I have the same dependents. I have everything's the same. And I got a tax bill for over $1,200. And I thought the world was over. Fortunately, if, if Uncle Sam didn't allow me for a nice little penalty to pay monthly payments over the course of the year, the world would have been over for me. $1,200 was a great portion of what I was planning on making the next year. And I was already three months into the next year by the time I figured it out. Um, so imagine then not just having $1,200 called in during tax season, but imagine working all year and every day just like you work now, and then on Friday, instead of getting payment, instead of getting money for your work, you got a letter that says, you owe what you were expecting to receive. And then at the end of the year, you're thinking, okay, if I owe this, surely during my taxes, I'm going to get a return. And then during your taxes, you find out that not only do you owe all of that money, but you owe even more. On a small scale, this is where we find ourselves accruing, working very diligently, working hard to be to do the things that God wants us to do, but accruing more debt, debt where we cannot find ourselves able, that we cannot find ourselves able to pay. This is what Paul has tried to emphasize in his letters, but in the first two and a half chapters of Romans, working and striving and only accruing debt. This is a great problem in all the world. But then today, we finally, after two and a half chapters, we finally get to some good news. Paul says that there is some good news, and that is that God intervened. Will you read with me Romans 3? We're going to read Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Pray with me this morning. Father God, help us to be able to wade through this depravity to be able to reject the old life so that we can receive the but now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Lord, would you help us to live as Christians in the now? That practically we would live like we are redeemed and saved by Jesus and not by our own good works. That fundamentally we would believe that we are redeemed and saved by Jesus, not by the head knowledge we have 
about him. That we would be changed and redeemed by God through his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit and for his glory alone. So that not only our lives would be changed, but the lives of those immediately around us would be changed. And the world would see that Jesus is in us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to humbly submit ourselves to you every morning of every day. So that we may live for you, for your glory and for your honor only because of what you have done for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Many church fathers and theologians alike believe that Romans 3, 21-26 might be some of the most important words in all of the Bible. At a very minimum, we go <coughs> through this spiritual, spiritual transition from the then... Paul says, this is how you acted the first two chapters to the now. The first two and a half chapters are discussing the then of a person's nature. And Paul will spend much of the rest of the Romans and much of his other letters discussing the now. Where are you now in Christ? And he starts off this famous section uh, of Romans by saying two simple words that are some of the most Revealing and relieving words you can ever hear as it concerns God. But now. He's clearly laid out in the first part of his letter and other letters how we were strangers, how we were far off, how we were enemies, vile of the vile. How we have proven that God is holy just by living the lifestyle in which our father Adam was the proprietor. But now, some of the sweetest words in all of the Bible. The but now here signifies a different path, a different way. But now signifies light from darkness. On a small scale, when I think about this, I think about Memphis football. Sports illustration, of course, it's coming from me again. Because I, I know I don't do sports illustrations very often, but... Um, yeah, I think there's a I think there is. This is the Super Bowl of Romans right now, right? Okay. Anyway. So I think about Memphis football when I think about this. This season of Memphis football has been a broken but a wonderful example of the feeling of the then and now comparison. Now, if you haven't been a Memphis football fan as long as I have or a Memphis uh, Tigers fan in general as long as I have, this might not resonate with you. But if we go on listing the then of Memphis football, we would say, one time you won nine games in three years. One time, not too long ago, there was only 5,000 fans in a 60,000 fan stadium for a game. One time you didn't have Tiger Lane, which is one of the best tailgating areas in the region. One time you were not regularly going to bowls. You were not regularly going to bowl games. One time, you had not gone to the Cotton Bowl. Like I said, it's a broken but relevant illustration. Honestly, the reason it's most relevant to me is because it doesn't feel like that past actually ever happened. I was here for that. I was a part of that. But it doesn't feel like that past actually happened. Over the last several years of Memphis football, it feels like we were always good. 
It feels like we were always good. It never feels like we actually um, only brought 5,000 people to a stadium because we went to a Cotton Bowl game and brought 30,000 people to a game in Arlington, Texas. And even though we lost, it doesn't even feel like it was that bad because of how good things are right now. Now, many of you know this other feeling. In the same way, you may feel this way about your spouse. At one time, you dated not-so-cute people. Or at one time, you dated people with not-so-great personalities. At one time, you had sketchy relationships. You know who you are. (laughs) But now... But now you are married to the person of your dreams. Men, your, your wife ends up usually looking way better than you. See? I look at my life now and I can loosely remember the torn up path that got me to my wife. I relish in the fact of where I am and not where I've been. The primary thing that that path was good for is to make me more grateful for the path that I'm on today. And now I've been with my wife so long that it's as if that other path was a different life altogether, lived by a different person. And then we come to the then and now with God. I've told you a million times that you must understand the past in order to appreciate the present. Paul here is not just throwing a party um, saying, all right, let's celebrate now and let's just move on from our past. What he is doing is he is creating this comparison. He's creating this comparison that lets us look at our then so that we may appreciate are now. Paul has brought about a great now by pointing out the work that Jesus has done. And the work that Jesus has done is called, uh, there's a theological term for it that Paul is laying out today, and it's called justification. Justification. We've discussed justification in the past before, not always by name, but definitively and objectively we've discussed it by name before. But I would like to discuss it from Paul's perspective in Romans 3, 21 through 26 today and next week. Justification is an act of God. It is a legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner of all of his sin and accepts the accounts of the sinner as righteous in his sight. Justification is a legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner of all of his sin and accepts and accounts the sinner as righteous in his sight. God declares the sinner righteous at the very moment that the sinner puts his trust in Jesus Christ alone. R.C. Sproul said justification is forensic, and that is legal. We are declared right in God's courtroom. He went on to say that it is synthetic and not analytical, It's synthetic because two things are added together to form a synthesis. More simply put, we are justified only because the work of Jesus Christ is added to us. If we stand before God without this synthesis, we are doomed. The Roman Catholic doctrine of justification is analytical. It says that we must cooperate 
with the grace of Christ and do good work to be saved. The finished work of Jesus enables us to become better people. And God declares us saved based on the fact that we have become better. That is analytical. But the Bible says that our justification is not analytical, but it is forensic. We are declared right in the courtroom of God, and it is synthetic. We are declared right because the righteousness of God was added to us. We have seen this in the first part of Romans, but we have seen this justification all throughout the New Testament, even in the Old. So I would like to say that the problem of mankind has been clearly laid out, but the remedy of mankind is justification. What I want to do for you is I want to break down for you what Paul says about justification, and then we can glean uh, from each aspect of God's justification. The remedy is justification. I want to look at what this justification is as Paul breaks it down. The first thing you need to see about justification is that justification is apart from the law. Apart from the law. But now, that great to those great two words, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Over the next few verses, we will be seeing these, this contrast between the then and the now. And the first is found in Romans 8, 118, and it's contrasted with what we see in Romans 3, 21. Romans 1, 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What has been revealed to the world? The wrath of God. And then the death that comes from that wrath because men suppress the truth. But what is in contrast to this? What is in contrast to that wrath? It is life. Look at Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Romans 1.18. The wrath of God has been manifested. Romans 3.21. The righteousness of God has been manifested. The now sounds a lot better, doesn't it? But it isn't just that the righteousness of God is manifested, but it is that the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. God's righteousness is given to us apart from the law. This means without help from the law. His righteousness is not manifested in the Ten Commandments, not in the sacrifices, and not in the food requirements, not in religious practice or discipline. It is manifested apart from the law. Now this does not nullify this truth that we have been, that has been revealed to us today does not nullify the value of the law. You remember there's value in the law, and we've discussed it before, and I will give it to you again here just so you can remember, just in case you've forgotten. There are really three reasons why we have value in the law. The three reasons are this. The law restrains the sinful tendencies of mankind. Mankind, because of the fall of Adam, has a, propens- has a propensity, has a tendency to sin. Well, the law restrains mankind. All the laws that we follow today... Most of the laws that we follow today, I would say that all of them, in, in, even in weird ways, have come from their root, their genesis, and that is the law of God. The law of God was given so that even people who don't follow God would be restrained by His law. That is 
our system that we have in America. So the law is not useless because it restrains those sinful tendencies of mankind. But the law also does something to this, and we're getting more into the salvation of mankind. The law points out sin and our need. The law is not useless because it points out sin and our need. The Bible and the standard for God to follow God has always been complete and utter perfection. And the law points out how we have sin in our life and how we have great need because we cannot be <coughs> perfect. And then a third thing the law does, by pointing out our need and the impossibility in keeping the law, the law then obviously points to our need for a Savior. The law points to our need for a Savior. The law was not, nor is it useless, but its purpose was never, its purpose was also never to save. The law's purpose was never to save. For the Christian, much of the law is then used as a proving ground for the faith that we claim to have. We went through this in Exodus, so I will not belabor the point, but the shadow that the law cast only proves the point that Paul was making in Romans 1. The law just shows us that we are condemned and hopeless. That's the then. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What a relief. What a relief that we stand in God's courtroom justified. We stand in God's courtroom right. What a relief. What a relief to know that that justification, that righteousness, is apart from keeping the perfect law. And we'll talk about this as the sermon develops, why it is apart from keeping that law perfectly. I meant to say keeping the law perfectly, not keeping the perfect law. What a relief to know that our debt is paid. What a relief to know that our account has been settled because the righteousness of God has been manifested. Justification is apart from the law, but justification is also seen throughout the Old Testament. Look at point B. Justification is testified of in the Old Testament. Although the law and the prophets bear Witness, the second part of verse 21. Paul says justification is apart from the law, but the law and the prophets do testify of this justification. Remember I said to you that the law was around to point us to Jesus. Now I know you won't be confused um, because you've been a part of our church for a minute, but never be confused about the history of justification. Any person who has ever been found in right favor with God has never been justified by the law has never been justified by his own good works. Paul here is not introducing a new way, but he is introducing, or he is reintroducing, he is clarifying an ancient way. He is clarifying how mankind has been justified for all of time. Listen to the, listen to the words of Paul's introduction in Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What did he promise beforehand? The gospel of God. This is not a new salvation. This is not a new justification. The bank accounts have always been settled by justification in God through God in the same way. Was Abraham justified by the law? 
Not according to Genesis 15. You've heard me quote this before. Abraham believed in the Lord. He believed in Yahweh. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Something Paul echoes again in Romans 4. Jesus, in a fight with the Pharisees in John 8, said even Abraham knew that faith in the Messiah would lead to righteousness. Something that you who have studied over the years should have already grasped. Yet see another great comparison with the then and the now. Then you were condemned. Paul says that tribulation and distress and judgment come to those apart from this justification. Then you were condemned. Then you were condemned to the tribulation. Then you were condemned to the stress. Then you were condemned to the judgment. But now God has justified His people. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have been just we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Then you were under the wrath of God. Then you were condemned. But now we have been justified through Christ apart from the law. That was a little bit of spoiler alert for the future part of this sermon. The law testified about the proof of their faith. The patriarchs and the prophets waited anxiously for the Messiah, who they would come, who would who they knew would come and justify his people. Because of the word that was plainly told to them. The Pharisees missed this point because they followed the Bible without a relationship. Friends, this is just a little side sermon, but it's connected to you today. Those, who have, those throughout history who have seen the truth of God have followed His words with a relationship. Those who have missed the truth of God have followed His words trying to do so without a relationship with God. No matter what seeker-sensitive person would have you believe this, you can't know the Bible without God, and you can't know God without the Bible. And His Word is timeless and will testify of His great gospel and has testified of His great gospel and will forevermore. Justification is apart from the law and it is testified about in the Old Testament. Here's a third thing I want you to see today. Justification is the righteousness of God. Justification is... The righteousness of God. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. We see throughout Scripture that justification is from God. If anyone is to be justified, it must come from God. But even more important than that, we need to see that the justification that we must receive is not only from God, but it is of God. It is not just a righteousness from God, but it is the righteousness of God. If we are to be justified, it will be because we have now taken on the account of God. 
This is vastly important, and it will be repeated a few hundred thousand times as you are under my ministry. We are bankrupt. Paul confirmed this in his, letter to the early, in his letters to the early churches. We confirm it by our general ineptitude. I know this to be true about myself, and I'm not just a failure at life, but every time I try to follow God in my own strength and my own power, I confirm my need for God because of my inability and my ineptitude. Paul confirmed it in his letter, but we confirm it in our ineptitude. The account that we have is accruing compounding debt. It is not accruing compounding righteousness. Don't you just love those no interest for five-year places? You can go in and spend $10,000 worth of getting your furniture, and it's same as cash, right? It's the exact same. No difference, right? Except with this caveat. At the end of that term, if you have not paid off the interest, if you have not paid off the the loan, guess what happens? Not only do you have to pay interest on what you have remaining, but they take your interest all the way back to the beginning of that term, and so you pay the interest on that that initial balance for throughout five years at something like 29 or 30% interest. It's just the same as cash, I promise you. Now, I hope that one day we all have pockets so full that we don't need to do the same as cash. But I hope that if you don't have pockets so full that you don't need to do the same as cash, or that you need to do the same as cash, that you pay it off before, before it uh, comes to fruition or before that last day. Because what you find is if you don't pay it off even a second late, you pay the interest that you've accrued over time. Friends, I want you to know that one day our books will be open and they will be laid bare before a holy God. And what he finds must appease the debt that we have accrued over time. It must satisfy his wrath. But what we find now or then is he is the only one that can satisfy that debt. Religiosity cannot satisfy the debt. Church attendance righteousness isn't good enough to cancel the debt of sin. When you're missional and when you're incarnational, it's not enough to cancel the debt of sin. Being moral and against immorality or even against amorality, which is basically uh, apathetic towards morals. It will not, it's not enough to pay the debt of sin. Displaying some spiritual fruits and doing all of the above with longevity is not enough to pay for the debt of sin. As a matter of fact, it isn't, it isn't just that it's not enough. It's the wrong currency. It's the wrong currency. Can you imagine going down to the Great American Home Store at the end of your five-year same-as-cash thing and saying, Great American Home Store, I've got a truck full of bananas out here that I want to pay for my furniture with. Now, the value of this truck full of bananas is exactly what I owe you. Will you take this truck full of bananas as currency for my furniture that I bought from you? Do you think that they would just open the doors and let you just cart those truck full of bananas in so that you can pay for your couches and your love seat? No, it doesn't happen that way. And what we find is we are in the same position with God. Not only is our righteousness not enough, but it isn't the right currency. It isn't the right currency. It's 
like God asks for something living and good and breathing. And we say, Lord, here's my pile of carcasses that I've been collecting over the years. Here's my pile of dead bodies. He said, no, I want living and I want breathing and I want life changing. And he says, but this is a good dead body. You should see this good dead body I have here. It it is the dead body of, of religious practice. It is the dead body of really praying hard every night and every day, praying for my friends and praying for my family and praying for the world. It is the dead body of social practice and social justice. It's the dead body of being an active member of of a church. It's the dead body of being a church elder or a church deacon or an MC leader. It's the dead body of whatever else we could pile up and accrue. And God says, listen, I want life and not death. We've got too many people not only missing (coughs) the mark on what God requires to have our, our slate cleaned but also offering the wrong currency. The Lord asked for life, friends. And the only thing that brings life, the only currency that we have that can offer life is found in Christ Jesus. It is found in His righteousness. This is a foreign righteousness meaning that it is foreign to us. It is not like us. It is, must be synthesized with us to make us right, erasing the damage which we have done and filling us with God. Do you know why I am convinced about one of the main reasons I was and am convinced about Christianity more than I am any other religion that is uh, around in this world and that we can compare it to? Because there is no other religion like Christianity in this sense. Every other religion asks you to do. It asks you to be something. It asks you to look from or form power up from within yourself. It asks you to be a servant to this redemption road that you're trying to find. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says, this is what God has done for you, and you have nothing to offer your God. Christianity is the only reason where imputed righteousness, righteousness that is given to your account, is the way of faith. Every other religion has some sort of earned righteousness. But our righteousness is credited to our account. I want to read you this concerning the righteousness of God and then we will close. Psalm 32, 1-2 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This is, not, this is not covered in the let's cover it up sort of sense. This is covered in the I've got it covered sort of sense. God has it covered. God has it redeemed. God has it taken care of. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We go from imputed condemnation to the imputed righteousness of God. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing.
How blessed are we when we no longer walk in the then, but we walk in the now. Friends, I need you to know, as real as we are standing here today, as real as we are in this room, there is only one way given among men whereby you are able to be saved, and that is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you. It is not by the works that you have done, not by the dead works. That's the the carcasses that you offer to God, but it is by a living way. The one who came to this earth, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who was buried, fully dead, fully buried, and he rose again. And it is still alive. he is still alive today and forevermore. The only thing that we can offer God when we meet him someday is Christ. That is the only thing that will satisfy our sin debt. That is the only thing that will satisfy this accrual of debt that we have on this earth. Would you trust him today? Would you trust him today? Because the truth is, friends, you can be a believer in here and you can still be struggling with trusting and and putting faith in Jesus Christ. You can still be struggling in what it means to really trust in Jesus as your father. Over the next week, uh, next week we'll see that this justification is not just Apart from, the work, apart from the law, it's not just a work completely of Jesus and of God. It is by faith alone. It is needed by everyone. It is given as a gift. And it is found only in Jesus. Friends, I will tell you. You need to hear this because it's vastly important. There is no partial trust of God that will be accepted when our books are open and in front of him on the day of judgment. There is no partial trust. There is no 95% trust. Now, I'm not saying that if you struggle with doubt or if you struggle with trusting in the Lord, that that automatically means that you're a sinner doomed to hell. But I am saying that progressively, those who trust in Christ are able to give pieces of themselves. Some people can do it right away. I don't, they're just crazy, crazy folks. That's great. Just taken by the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful. Some people can just give it all right away. But for the rest of us, it's about giving parts of our lives, pieces of our lives, chipping away at the things that we hold on to, whereas we should be trusting God for. Friends, would you trust the Lord today? Would you stop trying to offer Him dead bodies <coughs> as your sacrifice? And would you offer him the only thing, the only person that is living? And that is Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, you're so good. You are so good that you would die for us. Rarely is it that a man would die for a righteous man. But Lord, while we were still sinners, you died for us. You are so good that you would die for us. Lord, you are holy though, and you expect us to be holy. Lord, would you help us to throw away all of our self, all of our worth that we are finding in ourselves at the altar of self. Throw it away. Lord, let it be burnt up and let us surrender to you. That our account may be filled with Jesus 
and Jesus alone. If there is any hope for us who sit in here or for the world, let it be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let our account be settled. Let our debt be paid because of Jesus. Lord, we give you this day. We give you this time. Help us to be a walking light for the love that Jesus has given us so that others might see and we may lead them to saving faith in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.